Okay, I'm here recording this podcast intro shh, near shh, a waterfall. Ethan, be quiet. No. We can't. The monsters are going to hear us. Mecky, we're near the waterfall. It's fine. They don't They don't hear you if you're near the waterfall. Oh, sick. Oh, woo! Whoa, whoa. Hey, what, what the fuck are you doing? What? Are you crazy? I, I felt like once it canceled out, I could just do like a cathartic, really loud no, sound. No, it means I, that we can talk. You don't have to take a huge risk and make a, a wolf sound, a ah. howl. What are you doing? Uh, like That's going to certainly attract them to us. Just because we can talk doesn't mean you have to push the envelope like that. Do you understand that why, if you why push it... Why are we it, recording a podcast? We need food, you know? Well, There's no Patreon donation for cans of beans, which is what we need. I need to get my shit out uh, creatively, no matter what's going on, no matter no, what alien right. no, invasion. Right. That's why we're sealing all that paper inside the one room so we can have a proper podcast studio, even in the apocalypse. That's right. Yeah, of course. There's a narrow band of things that count, and podcasting is one of them. And don't you forget it. Thanks for tuning in, folks. Actually, I gotta head out because I put my baby in a box down there. Oh no! I'm just gonna eat fish out of the floor. Okay, bye. Bad science. Did the movie get it right? Bad science. Or will we have to fight? Bad, 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 bad science. Hi, everybody. Welcome to another episode of Bad Science. I'm your host, Ethan Edinburgh, and today we are talking about A Quiet Place, a movie that came out last year, a horror film by John Krasinski. Uh, joining me is Mecky Leeper, a brilliant comedian and good friend of mine that you will soon come to know on Comedy Central's Control Room. Hey, what's up, everybody? Um, wow, that was almost too nice at the beginning. Brilliant comedian, really? friend. I mean, I just I don't know if I buy any of that, really. Oh, so we're not friends. No, not close. Okay, got uh-huh. it. <laughs> um, no, this is going to be fun, dude. I watched A Quiet Place three times. Yeah, you said you saw it twice in theaters. Is that correct? Yeah. Uh, I didn't love it that much, but I just I, I saw it once, and then my girlfriend was mad, so I saw it with her again. Okay. Was, uh, well, you know. um, another opinion which I'm dying to know of is that of our other guest, Dr. Peter Ivory, who is the professor of audiology at Cal State LA. Yeah, greetings. How's it going? It's going very well. I'm gl- excited to be here uh, to talk about this uh, uh, f- film with uh, with all of you. Yeah, how uh, did you see it in the theater? Did you see it? At no, your I just, home? Uh, I just, uh, you were kind enough to send me a link, and I watched it this week uh, with my wife, and we were both uh, scared, and I was both trying to take notes on it at the same time, knowing the task <laughs> that I had in front of me uh, to uh, talk with you about it. But, wow! So we watched basically in the same way because I watched it for the first time last night, and also just sat there with a notepad trying to take some notes. Um, I really feel like I really, I see. I, I already don't like horror movies, mm-hmm. and just for the simple reason, like too scary, can't do it. Never watch them. Yeah. When I was like, when I was like eight, I watched uh, Scooby Doo on Zombie Island, and I peed the bed <laughs> twice that night. Uh, so I can't, I can't do horror movies at all. And then trying to watch it in a way where I was also taking notes or like thinking about it was like. This is another layer of scary I don't need in my life at all. Yeah, yeah, sure. Um, oh, actually, I have some notes in this notebook also that I took. Ooh. Ethan just left the mic. This is my show now. How's it going, everybody? Um, we're, we're, we're canceling the science stuff. It's going to be, this is a monster truck podcast now. What? Oh, wait, a Ethan's back. Okay, nothing, no, never mind, never mind. Yeah, 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 science. Um, I love okay, science. Okay, so, so first of all, I just wanted you guys, like, did you enjoy the film? Was it one of, like, your favorite horror movies? Where does it weigh in for you? As somebody who does not watch many horror movies, I I really did have fun watching this. It was okay. I thought it was like you know it's really scary. It's the kind of I don't know. I feel like it's what you want from a horror movie. Okay. Um, and I liked it the second time because I was with people who hadn't seen it, so I got to do that fun thing of like ah wait till you see this, which is annoying objectively to did do. You, did you say that in the theater? Oh uh, yeah 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 <laughs> definitely. I was that guy at the beginning who like they jumped and I'm like oh, you don't have any idea. 
idea. Like I <laughs> made it or something. Right. right. Uh, but then the third time I watched it, I was just, I was, you know, it's like I'm thinking about this podcast. Right. And I'm thinking about, you know, the scientific blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, ah, I feel like this is maybe riddled with holes. So mm-hmm. that's not so good. Okay. But yeah, yeah. When, when I watched it uh, with my wife, we, we usually don't watch sort of jumpy horror movies. Right. Uh, it's just not something that we do. Uh, but uh, in, in watching it, and, and I'm always interested once I got understood that there was a hook uh, re- relative to uh, hearing loss and that that ended up uh, sort of being a major play in the movie, then that, uh, that was in- entertaining and intriguing to me. Uh, one of the... Re- one of the assignments I have in one of our classes at Cal State LA uh, is for students to look at uh, depictions of uh, deaf individuals, hearing impaired individuals, deafness uh, in cinema, and then to report a sort of a subjective piece about it, actually to do a thumbs up, thumbs down kind of review of it as to whether or not it was a faithful depiction of what they understood um, the conditions that hearing impairment imposes on people and so on. Cool. And so it was like right up my alley relative to the kinds of things that I have that, you know, I have an interest in and want to expose students to. Okay. Did you feel like you enjoyed the movie or when it was over you said like well that was a waste <laughs> um, no no uh, it's I admire anyone who's creative uh, and uh and so to that extent, uh, and particularly anyone that's trying to show a positive depiction of, of deafness, uh, and um, then when I came to read after the fact that, uh, that John Tr- uh, Krasinski then you know, went out of his way to employ a deaf actress, an actress who herself was deaf, that's right. uh, Mel- Millicent, Millicent Simmons, Simmons yeah. then that was sort of also uh, something that was very, uh, you know, sort of very important to me. So, yeah, absolutely. That's so cool. I did not realize she was actually deaf. Yes. Wow, that's cool. Yeah, I thought she was great. Yeah. In the film. No, she's very good. I thought all the acting was really great, actually. Yeah. To be honest with you. And I thought the movie was good. I did have fun with the film. Um, but the whole time, I got to say, I don't know if you guys felt this way, but I kept having to, uh, like, I, like see loopholes, I guess. Like, you were kind of mentioning before. or like Yeah. Like, like they went to a waterfall at one point. Do you, you know what I'm talking about? And sure. it's like really loud. And so he says like, oh, we can talk here and everything's fine. Like as long as there's another noise that's louder. And it just brought to life all of these rules that I was like, what is the rule here? What can they hear? What can they not? What do they care about? What don't they care? Like what noises? You know what I mean? Well, it seems to me like, and this is the thing that's on, you know, it's like, uh, Jesus, Reddit. I assume everybody that listens to this, pod, listens to this podcast uh, lives on that website. <laughs> sure. uh, and look, hey, I look at it uh, too much and I hate it so much. But the the prevailing theory there is like, oh, they should have just lived near the waterfall right. or they should have just had a giant noisemaker that Outside, ran constantly. Yeah. Right, yeah, yeah. So I don't know. I mean, my kind of bigger question, because, Peter, you are a scientist, I mean, how quickly do you think that the science community would have figured this out? Like, probably probably pretty quickly, right? Well, I, I guess in both of your cases, you know, you'd have to sort of suspend disbelief in the first place. So if you're having a problem with just simply noise, not, you know, as being a, a, an improper venue to, to block out speech, you know, that's getting past the fact that, you know, monster, you know, aliens that are eating humans are on the planet and are hunting us. So, so, right. so given that, so relatively, <laughs> relatively speaking, yeah. now if you're looking for, you know, you know, things that are inconsistent with what we think the world, you know, with the way our world and our science and everything lays out, then that's a different matter. If okay. you're, if you're, if we're looking to kind of say, well, this isn't possible, or this so is, it didn't or this doesn't you as much. work. You were watching, saying like, well, okay. 
Yeah, no, I was, I was, uh, you know, I, I just sort of agreed to go with it. If I'm going to watch a film that right. I'm required to suspend uh, my belief system, then you just have to kind of go with it. It seems to me. Yeah, Although, and as a homework assignment for this podcast, you are required to suspend your disbelief. That's it's right. part of it. That's right. As any good podcast, it is homework you have to complete. Before. I just, I like when there's rules. That's that's my thing with a with a science fiction movie or anything where it's like whimsical, fantastical. I like when they tell you what they can do, what they can't, kind of at the beginning. Yeah. And then, then you can. I'll go with you. I'll play by your rules. But without knowing the rules, I was a little bit confused. I guess as far as like, yeah, why don't they do this? Why don't they try and trap them with noise? Why don't they? Right. You know, but it was it but, was effective. It was scary, and it, I enjoyed the film. It, it, Ethan, it also could be that you were approaching the film much more analytically. Yeah. In terms of trying to trying to dissect it and trying to sort of you know figure out I mean and part of it you know and I guess part of it and I'm not a student of cinema in that sense formally but part of it is is the gradual reveal and gradually figuring out because right. in a way that parallels what's happening in the story which is and and I'm I'm told here that spoiler alerts are suspended, so we, yeah, we're yeah. not only suspending Bring belief, them on. but we're oh yeah. yeah. So you know, so as the, the characters, we, we don't they don't really figure out exactly how to defeat the aliens until the very last scenes. Right. And so to that extent, there we never find out till the end unless we sort of have figured it out. Yes. By by the little glimpses that we're allowed to see. So that to, that to me that's a dramatic device. That not necess- not necessarily suspension of rules. I like that. I agree with that, and I also feel that it kind of makes sense because they're on this farm, they're away from everything. Mm-hmm. That maybe like other people did figure it out, and they're just too you know it's like they're in too much a remote situation to have gotten that information yet. You yeah, know I mean? that makes sense. So that kind of I kind of think it's fine in that regard, but. Uh, I don't know. I was also distracted by just like, what are the odds that the hottest family on earth is the one that survived? You know what I mean? Yeah. John Krasinski looks like an L.L. Bean ad the entire time. (laughs) And also there's like, I don't, dude, there are parts of this that like, I feel like I've been to like music, you know, concert series, like pop-up events that looked exactly like the set of that movie. There's like string lights. Oh, right. He's putting down sand where it doesn't belong, but like (laughs) is kind of cute. That's true. It was a lot. Uh, Nobody has shoes on. No, and nobody has shoes. On. Yeah, I mean, that's the true horror for me. The idea that in the apocalypse, my apocalypse personally, mm-hmm. is that I have to, one, walk around on sand. I hate sand. And then also... Make yeah, us a what, bit of a germaphobe, Peter. Oh. Yeah, this is a wild take. I hate sand. Uh, that's <laughs> that's where I'm drawing the line, in the sand. Uh, and also not wearing shoes. Yeah. Madness. I couldn't. You couldn't I'd, do it? No, I would do the thing that the old guy did where I just scream. If I, someone was like, yeah. hey, the earth is over, you can't wear shoes anymore, I would do the ah thing. The, my friend that I was watching it with basically took that approach to the whole movie. He said, like, look, if this is the life I have to live where everything's just super quiet and I can't make any noise, I'd rather just go outside and yell and get wrecked. Yeah. And uh, I, I <laughs> disagree with that. I think there's plenty to live for besides just uh, making noises. I've, I guess. Con- I've considered the apocalypse, man. And it's like, I know that I would go, I'd go quick. You know, <laughs> I just, I can't. Yeah. Survive. Yeah. I like barely yeah. make an effort to survive as is, you know? Um, okay. So I want to talk about the cochlear implant versus hearing aid uh, thing. Cause I just assume she's wearing a hearing aid or he, or she, he's trying to make a hearing aid that works, which it doesn't. Um, so, one, I was going to ask you guys, why do you think she keeps wearing them if they're broken? Because they don't work, right? Like, she tries it and she, like, snaps, they show, and then, like, she keeps wearing it. 
So I was confused about that. Obviously, it ends up being a huge thing in the movie, but she doesn't know that. Uh, so that was my first thing. And then I wanted to just ask you the difference between a cochlear implant and a hearing aid. Yeah. In the context of the movie, you know, perhaps to answer your question, Ethan, you know, to me, the, the, the cochlear implant maybe symbolized, uh, and even in this case, a non-functioning device, maybe symbolized hope. That there was going to be something that was going to change and that there was something to look forward to, even though it wasn't functional at the time. Great. That's how I sort of viewed that. Uh, the uh, to, to understand what a cochlear implant is, it, basically, you have to have a sense about what hearing is. And, and so you know, here's where my expertise perhaps comes in handy. Yeah, let's get into uh, it. Is, is the idea that... Uh, uh, our hearing is, is, is one of our senses that basically serves to convert environmental information into something that your brain can process. Now, all of our brains are processing information based on electrical signals that are mediated by chemical exchanges and so on. So it's a chemical electrical thing. But fundamentally, um, I can record your electrical activity by putting you know, electrodes on your head and just recording all of the sea of electrical signals that are going on inside your head at any one particular point. Or for us, the pond. Ooh. <laughs> The creek, yeah, uh, small yes. creek. The uh, so so in, to that extent, the the senses that we have, the five you know senses you learned about in fifth grade, you know sight, smell, touch, feeling, taste, uh, uh, all have special receptors that are designed to detect a specific type of energy. And for the most part, these five senses are, for the most part, mutually. Uh, compatible or uh, complementary is a better word, which, uh, mutually uh, complementary. So you have vision, you have hearing, taste, and 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 uh, and smell. Uh, both are, are mediate. I mean, I'm sorry. Yeah, taste and smell are both mediated chemically. Uh, but with these others, they they all have specialized structures that convert these energies in the world, fundamentally and and through a couple of stages into electrical signals. So the, the, the experience that you're having when you're exposed to sound uh, that we call hearing is really something that happens in your brain. Cochlear implant takes the place of a functioning auditory system in the sense that it, it takes environmental information, acoustic energy, converts it into an electrical code, and then, and, and then deposits that into the auditory nervous system at the auditory nerve. You have to have a functioning auditory nerve, which is just basically a wire that goes from your inner ear up to your brain. So that's what it does. Um, and so what a cochlear implant does is, uh, is it basically substitutes for the device in your own head that would normally convert acoustic energy into an electrical code. A hearing aid, on the other hand, is something that takes acoustic energy, augments it, makes it a bigger, better, sweeter acoustic signal, and then puts that into an auditory system that has some damage or pathology or something, and then that that the structure, the inner ear that converts that signal into an, an electrical code is then receiving an enhanced, augmented uh, signal from what happened in the world. Right. Whoa. Okay. So wait, are cochlear implants new? Also, Ethan, are you going to ask me to interpret that? <laughs> no. Would you like to? No. Sometimes, sometimes <laughs> you do that on the podcast. You'll you'll like turn to the comedian and be like, okay, summarize what they said. Well, you, yeah. were, you were the one that asked for the quiz. This is true. That's right. Yes. <laughs> My God. Um, so wait. So so cochlear implants are those are new, right? Well, mid nineteen seventies. Oh, whoa, crazy. Yeah. So that's and is that replacing and, and, or helping the cochlea? Because I read that that's the most complicated part it, of our well, hearing. In, in some respects, it's it's you know in some respects I consider it a misnomer. It's really almost a cochlear bypass. Oh, because if again if the cochlea, the inner ear, is this structure that contains the the receptors the receptor cells that convert an analog of 
the acoustic energy from the environment into an electrical code and deposits that into the auditory nerve, which is beginning there, the, the cochlear implant basically takes an electrical code that it created using a computer that's worn over the ear. And we saw that, uh, the, that she wears an ear, ear, earborne uh, th thing hanging over her ear that then connects by a wire to um, a coil, which is magnetically is one side is on the, on the surface of the skin, the other side is actually implanted in the skull. Whoa. And then there's a cable that is drilled through the skull, through the middle ear, and then into the inner ear, where an electrode array is, is, is lined up underneath the auditory nerve. Um, and in that process, then the auditory, uh, the auditory nerve uh, or the cochlear implant uh, has electrodes that will then stimulate uh, at various points, sort of like along a piano keyboard. Think of this as like implanting a sort of a player piano uh -huh. uh, into the ear in which there we, we can activate certain keys of that player piano right. uh, with an electrical signal going into it. And so, so wait, so when this was coming out, did people protest this? Because this feels like the kind of thing it's like, I find myself to be a pretty progressive guy. I'm already kind of like, you're not turning me into a damn robot. Like, I'm like, wait, Invasive. what? Yeah, it's yeah. like, that seems like a crazy thing at the time. It's like, were people too stupid to wrap their heads around how invasive this sounds to be like, you're not doing that to my, or was it just sold as kind of like, you get hearing back? Like, can you fix anyone's hearing now, or is that not the case? Well, a bunch of questions in there, Mecky. I mean, sure, sure. In front of them, uh, you know, it, uh, to one extent, uh, the the population for whom a cochlear implant would be appropriate uh, or would be uh, recommended uh, is uh, is a small subset of all persons who have difficulty hearing. So, mm. so the so the vast majority of people who have hearing deficits, who have you know challenges hearing, um, a cochlear implant would not be uh, an appropriate. Uh, uh, option would not be something that would be recommended. So it is for a subset, and, and it would be a subset for people who have very little cochlear function, uh -huh. uh, but who have an, a functioning auditory nerve. Um, but uh, you are uh, very much on point uh, to say uh, that aren't were people uh, sort of alarmed by this, and the alarm was raised in the uh, particularly here in America in the American deaf community who basically stated much of the same things that you did, or at least you know, persons in the American deaf community said, this is an assault on deafness, this is taking away deafness, uh, and so on. Um, and, and so I know that... Uh, Why wouldn't they want every possible way to... Cure. It's like an identity thing, though, right? Like it's like if you it's like if you told somebody to like change their race because there was something wrong with it. It's I mean, like if a, it's you could like make a, me less Jewish with a brain <laughs> surgery, then that'd be great. <laughs> but it's it's it really it really does seem like people are like uh, I've embraced deafness as a part of my identity, right? And uh, you know, to erase that would be to erase like kind of who I am, and to say that it's like that wrong. I understand, but it seems like it's also stopping science. The, right, right, the, right. The American deaf community uh, and, and is is reflected in American deaf culture. Uh, utilizes American sign language, has their own history, values, heroes, um, and has been assaulted before, uh, and has was was marginalized in the late 1800s when there was a division in, in how we should educate uh, children with hearing loss with deafness, uh, whether we should be using sign language and allow them to use a sort of a natural system of communication that was available to them uh, or to force uh, individuals uh, with deafness to to speak. Whoa. And so there was this divide from at that point in time. So there's a historic um, a historic uh, reluctance uh, on part of the, of the the deaf community to sort of accept things that will make them hearing. 
because they don't believe that they're that they're impaired. But has that changed? Uh, they, you know, or so they don't see that there's a deficit because they can communicate. Right. Uh, and while historically the deaf community uh, marries within the deaf community, uh, and here in Southern California, because of the National Center on Deafness at Cal State uh, Northridge, um, there's um, an inordinately large uh, deaf community out here. Mm-hmm. Has that was that just at the beginning when you know all this was introduced, or is it still present today? Uh, well, it's still present today, but as, as things have changed to, uh, again, modifications and uh, advances, cochlear implant being one of them, uh, as a threat to the deaf community, um, I, I think it's been challenging for the deaf community to sort of proceed uh, with, with the technological changes as, as it may, they may see this as an erosion of their uh, culture. Sure. Uh, the other, you know, just, uh, just one other sort of historical point. Uh, the, um, there were laws passed in many states, um, fundamentally based on the work of um, Alexander Graham Bell, who you may know as the inventor of the telephone and himself married to a deaf person uh, and uh, was a deaf educator as part of his career. Um, at the turn of the, of the 20th century, there was a social Darwinist eugenics movement uh, all throughout America. And uh, Alexander Graham Bell went, went around the country uh, encouraging state legislatures to uh, pass laws to prevent deaf individuals from marrying other deaf individuals. Wow. Um, Whoa. You know, and, and the, the other extension of that, there was laws that sort of not necessarily rel- relative to the deaf, but persons with, with mental deficits uh, to uh, have uh, forced um, sterilizations. Of, of women so that they couldn't reproduce children. Um, laws, the, the sterilization laws were on the books in California until about 10 years ago. Oh, my God. That's crazy. Yeah. yeah. Wild. Wow. I really plan to come in here and be like, do you think it's possible that they didn't fart for the whole time? And now this is such a more... <laughs> yeah, deep conversation. Yeah. This is, yeah. This is crazy. And, and this is another thing. It's like, do, does blindness approach um, that in the same way, or is it different than deafness in that they do accept that they are impaired or believe that they are impaired? Or don't you know? Well, I, mean, the, you I, I think the interesting thing, the, the dichotomy between vision and hearing, and again, the idea is that they're complementary senses. We, you know, we do some things with, with both, and some give us other ways to appreciate the world. Um, there's a very oft, often quoted uh, uh, quote from Helen Keller, who herself was uh, deaf and blind. Sure, yeah. From uh, early in life, I don't think from birth, but early in life, scarlet possibly fever. secondary to, uh, to infection. I don't know if it's scarlet fever. It might have been meningitis or something, mm. whatever else happened back then. And, uh, and uh, her statement was, when you lose uh, your sight, you lose things. When you lose your hearing, you lose people. Wow. And but that's predicated on the idea, though, that um, that language, spoken language, if if your language, if your means of communication is via speech, which is an acoustic code, that's you know, so language, if you will, is is uh, a code that cultures have adopted to uh, using uh, a sort of a map of sounds uh, to create words in a particular language and culture. So uh, if if we're thinking that that uh, that speech is your only venue for language, then the inability to uh, to receive and appreciate and process those acoustic cues, you're dead in the water. Insane. And that's why with AS with sign language, sign language is a linguistically full communication system. Yeah. And so that's what rails, you know, what roils the deaf in the sense of um, they have a functioning communication system. I, I had a question about sign language, actually, because I read that about 90% of the deaf population has two hearing parents, and 88% of those parents do not know sign language. 
Is that what you were kind of referring to before, where there's like this, I don't know, refusal to accept, you know, like make them just a part of the world, like make them speak, make them Yeah, how are you not talking to your kid? Right. Well, you know, you're correct. The, the, the single largest cause of deafness is, in fact, what's called uh, autosomic, uh, autosomal uh, recessive deafness, in which each parent has a recessive gene mm. that is not manifested in them because you need two recessive genes in order to have the trait, in this case, deafness. And we're wow. using the word deafness in a broad sense to not denote any particular degree of impairment from of what might be a mild hearing loss of an older person up to a, someone who has no um, reception or appreciation of, of any acoustic signals happening in the environment. Uh, mm. Deaf people, what we might call small d deaf people, by the way. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, uh, our convention is that we, when we refer to the deaf community, we, we have it as a capital D. Okay. So we see capital D deaf, uh, that's the deaf community. When you see small d deaf, it might be someone like me as an audiologist who's simply referring to how much or how little uh, does a person actually picking up from the from the environment in terms of acoustic information? But so to your to your point, Ethan, um, uh, the majority of people who are born with uh, with very little receptive ability to hear uh, are have two hearing parents because they're they, their parents have this recessive and thing. In your opinion or experience, do you think that it happens more often than not that they are communicating with their parents in a way that is inefficient that they don't know sign language? Or is that, well, it uh, puts a great burden on the parents at that particular point in order to, uh, and again, you hit on another point that's, that's, that's key to what we do as audiologists, which is to counsel people and to move them away from what might be an initial state of denial mm-hmm. about this condition. And so, uh, you know, as a, as a, as a parent, uh, you know, with your hearing and your spouse's is hearing, uh, your partner's hearing, and all of a sudden you have a, ch- you have a child, you didn't expect it, you didn't anticipate it, particularly right. if it's your first child and there's no other history of hearing loss. And now, um, you know, Every, every parent is expecting to have a, the perfect child anyway, and now this is something that uh, has really changed your worldview uh, very quickly. Uh, one thing that is uh, the case, I believe, in all 50 states and certainly here in California is that we have a universal neonatal uh, hearing screening test, so the children are supposed to be assessed before they leave the hospital. Uh-huh. And so parents then uh, are basically advised before within two, three days of life that your child has a significant hearing loss. And that, I think that's mitigating the denial a little bit prior to this universal neonatal detection uh, protocol, so to speak. Uh, It might've been a year to two years before the parents had overcome the denial adequately, at least in historical terms, Mm -hmm. and gotten their kids tested. They would just say, oh, he's just not paying attention or whatever would fuel their denial. Right. Crazy. I never considered this at all. How, is, is, it, is it a small percentage of the population? Just a percentage? Uh, the, uh, in the United States, it's about 10% or about 36, 38 million people. It's about, you know, whatever, 320 million people in America right now. And so uh, overall, it's probably, you know, a 10% of that is, uh, has some degree of hearing impairment. And of all persons with hearing impairment, it's probably maybe one of severe to profound, what we, deafness like we see yeah. depicted here, uh, maybe about one and a half, two million people. Oh, wow. So a lot of people. That is a shocking amount. Yeah. I want to learn sign language. I feel like we should all just know it just in case. Yeah. And it seems kind of fun, too. I don't know. In case the aliens come. In case the aliens aliens come. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, this is what I want to focus on. Which was, you know, to me, obviously, uh, the the interesting thing was that because this family had a communication system based on their knowledge of sign language, that was probably one of the reasons why they were able to survive. Yeah. Oh, great call. Didn't even think about that. I did think about it. Yeah, I thought of it. That makes sense. Well, you saw it three times. I did see it three times. I had a a lot of opportunities to be like, wait, <laughs> leg up on me. How, how'd they make it here? Yeah. 
Yeah. Oh, I see. Yeah, I mean, talk. it did take a lot of a lot of rewatching this for me to even think about it critically. And I mean, the first time I watched this, I was just trying not to look at the screen too much because mm-hmm. very scared, very scared, very scared, very bad. Yeah. Um, but yeah. <laughs> um, so speaking of how many of us uh, have hearing loss, a lot of us will uh, evolve into hearing loss. Right. As we get older, we lose our hearing of a large percentage of us. So I wanted to ask, like... A large percentage as in a hundred percentage. A hundred percentage. <laughs> is that true? We all lose sure. our hearing? If you live long enough, you will have hearing that is def- that is definitely poorer than it is today. Mm. So right. Those, so you two gentlemen who are blessed with relative youth, enjoy it and protect it while you have it. Because if, if you damage your hearing now... See, the, the, the receptor cells that I talked about before that convert uh, the analog of acoustic energy into an electrical code, they're actually cells that come out of this, that are derived initially out of the central nervous system very early in life like the you know the fifth the fifth week of life is is when these cells uh, are sort of migrating and uh, around um, and so uh, and are really the, the the hair cells themselves are uh, that are in the inner ear are present at around uh, between the eighth and twelfth week of, of life and you, people aren't even aware that they're pregnant at that particular point mm-hmm. um, so um, the, the uh, these hair cells uh, since they're of, of nervous nervous system tissue, they don't regenerate. It's like your brain cells. You're born with as many brain cells as you're ever going to have, and all you're going to do is lose them. Wow. And in the case of sensory cells, particularly auditory, uh, the, the auditory hair cells, which again have this sort of neural, neural kind of basis, when they're, when they're damaged, they're gone forever. And there's no way at this point to repair them. Uh, we call them their auditory hair cells because they have hairs that uh, when they, they're mechanoreceptors. So when they're displaced, that causes an electrical impulse to be created in the cell that it, they're attached to. So it's a really more remarkable kind of system. Uh, and there is no um, auditory hair cell for men. So it sounds like what you're saying is that if we're going to concerts and such, wear earplugs. Yes. When you're younger. <laughs> Yes, because because what you're going to do if you damage your damage your inner ears uh, prior to your old age, you're going into old age, which is a time period where you're going to have hearing loss anyway because of the inevitable degeneration of the of the auditory inner of the inner ear hair cells and auditory neurons. Mm-hmm. Um, you know how well any of us are going to be entering into our later years, 65 and older, uh, prepared you know for hearing uh, in, in those later years is in part. Um, if we t- if we factor out noise exposure is impact is is probably then genetic, and whatever other genetic susceptibilities we have to noise, uh, but but far and away, you know, hearing loss due to noise exposure is you know one of the only preventable measures that we can do to protect hearing. Which is why I live a life absolutely governed by fear. I mean, similar to not wanting to go to the beach, hate concerts, don't like anything too loud. This is great, you know. I think I think by uh, by my approach of not experiencing any true joy in my life, I'll be able to just kind of keep this moderate level of, uh, yeah, plateau you know. of joy. Yes, exactly. Years. And, and I'll kind of just be able to live this way forever. You know, everything's fine and mm-hmm. that's all. And, and that's then all I need. die. Yep. <laughs> yeah. This is pretty good. I am screwed on the other hand, because I've been in band since I was little mm-hmm. and we're just, you know, uh, ignorantly in a garage blasting next to a drum set so many times. Oh yeah. So I'm Are your hands need... already bailed. Yeah, my hands are screwed. My ears are screwed. Um, I'm going to need one of these hearing aids or PSAPs, uh, which I wanted to ask you about. So it says, well, it says, the internet says that 20% of adults with hearing loss get hearing aids. Mm -hmm. So there's 
speaking of denial, another huge denial that happens uh, with elderly people not wanting to get hearing aids or, or thinking they don't need them or something. Um, and so I wanted to ask you about that. Obviously, the cost is a huge thing. You know, the average cost, I think, was like $4,700. So people are afraid to spend that much money. And then also there's like very uh, advanced hearing aids that aren't allowed to be called hearing aids. They're like not legally hearing aids, but they're made by companies to do kind of the same thing for a lot cheaper. Is that true? Again, a lot of questions in there. Um, So let's see if we can peel some of them back. Great. when we think about, uh, for example, uh, you know, hearing aids, it, it would, you know, as a technological device, hearing aids have never been better than they are now, and they're fundamentally computers uh, that uh, enable the, the the persons fitting them, um, audiologists or other individuals, to make some very uh, precise. Uh, prescription, so to speak, to to sort of provide the the listener of uh, the user of that hearing aid with sort of a you know a a sweetened sound that would be that would not only account for their their hearing loss, uh, but as well sort of provide an augmentation to the sounds that are really most important for speech communication. So those have never really been 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 better than uh, than they are t- uh, today. Um, you know, you, you you pointed out some of the barriers to uh, adults using hearing aids. And so the fact that only 20% of any, you know, so the, the argument is that if, if we look at the total number of patients or individuals who would benefit from hearing aid amplification, you know, historically, the number has been only about 20%. And that's been true as long as I've been in audiology. So that's true for 40 years. Mm-hmm. And, and so who knows for, for however long. Some of the, the things that you mentioned, however, sort of, you know, cost and, and, and alternate products, have never really mitigated that. Uh, there's in, in studies that have been done where hearing aids are given away, for example, uh, are prescribed without cost, let's say, in the, if to the United States military personnel or to the VA, uh, hearing aids are offered to some individuals and they say, no, I don't want them. So when we, and, and, and that's even true of, of countries where there's socialized medicine, mm-hmm. where hearing aids are given, you know, given away as part of socialized medicine. So if you go to any of the Scandinavian countries, they have all, you know, UK uh, as well. And you think that's uh, just a reluctance to accept that they have hearing loss? I, I see that, that, yes, I see that as, uh, again, a, a manifestation of the denial. Uh, if someone is wearing a hearing aid, then they're wearing a visible symbol of not just hearing loss, but in America, they're wearing a visible symbol of aging. Because as I said, if you think about the caricature, if you, you picture in your mind, what, when you say okay, an old person, what, do you, what, do you, what are the physical characteristics uh, that you would see? What's the caricature you would paint of sure. someone who is an old person? And so part of it would be, uh, you know, what? You know, the hand up to the air, what did you say? Uh, right, right. And that kind of thing. And so I, I've always posited that people that wear hearing aids or are reluctant to wear hearing aids are reluctant to admit that they're aging. Yeah. And I think that's that may be more than anything an American popular or an American cultural thing that you don't, may not see in other cultures quite so much. See, wait, this, okay, so this is a perfect opportunity to pitch an idea I just came up with. Let's okay, do it. I'm talking about rebranding hearing aids yep. for teens, for uh, people in their 20s, okay? <laughs> yep. Just like hearing aids, except they're for hearing people who want more bass in everyday life. Great. It's all about bass. Everybody loves bass. Extra bass That's all the time now. in conversation, every song you hear, way too much bass, yeah. whatever. Well, also sometimes you're just in like a really cool hip bar with your friends and the music is really loud, but you want to hear your friends talk and okay. these hearing aids are able to do that. We're doing a crossover with Shazam. We're making a ton of money. <laughs> we're rich. We're rich. Everyone's excited. Yeah. And now hearing aids are for young people, old people. It doesn't matter. The stigma's gone. Yeah. I'm a genius. I'm gonna go what are they get called? in my helicopter. We need a cool name. What are they called? Um, 
damn, I wish I had something sick. I really don't. <laughs> you can't use heroes. That's that's been taken for earplugs. Oh wow, heroes. heroes are already a thing. Yeah. Oh, that's right. Done. Yeah, earplugs. Yeah, it's yeah, an yeah. earplug. Can't do that. Oh wow. Well, you maybe know. we we need a good like a uh, pun, like a cochlear pun, or you know what I mean? Yeah. Something. Well, the AIDS part of it, you kind of can't isolate just because there's. I think there's something called ossicles. Isn't that the name of the bones or Those something? Those are the bones in the middle ear, yeah. So maybe there's something with ossic- awesome ossicles. Oh, yeah, osmicles. 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 <laughs> yeah, they're rad, dude. Yeah, osmicles, I think. Uh, yeah, wow. The commercial, somebody's like skateboarding into a bar. Oh, I can't wait to just see nine figures in my bank account tomorrow. I would honestly stop everything that you're doing and and invest in awesome op- ossicles right now. For ossicles, listening to yeah, this. absolutely. Yeah, Google turn it. it off. By the time this podcast comes out, we're going to have a website. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I mean, yeah, I'd say I'd say turn it off, but frankly, maybe just turn it up and enjoy the extra bass you're experiencing right now with ossicles. <laughs> so cool. I mean, uh, well, you know, I really enjoyed hearing from you for the first part of this, but it, it does seem that the student has become the master and I've now innovated something <laughs> much more powerful than the. Uh, no, but I think that you're onto something as far as like, you know, teaching society that you know, meshing with technology is not a bad thing. It doesn't mean that you're weak. It doesn't mean that you're relying on, you know, uh, enhancements. It's just that uh, you're becoming better. You're just bettering yourself. You're advancing your experience. You I don't know. know. I don't know What's that I agree. Problem? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to stick with the woke take here and say that there's nothing wrong with deaf people, no matter what Ethan has to oh, say Oh, no, wait it. a minute. That's not you what know, I'm saying. I think that they're great. <laughs> I, uh, I think they're great, I, think it's, I frankly think it's very weird he took that hard position. Nope, no, 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 no. I think you're misunderstanding me. I'm saying that we should all use technology for to better, no matter who you are, that it can make things better. That's all I'm saying. If you have a grandparent that can't hear very well, you know, let them Something's know. Something's wrong like, with them. No, hmm. <laughs> I'm not saying something's wrong with them. I'm just saying they can better their experience. That's all I'm saying. Well, you, you know, you're correct in, uh, correct in asserting that technology should be something that's going to move the needle or move the statistic on uh, on the acquisition or, uh, of hearing aids by persons who need them. But uh, as we've gone through historical cycles of, of advancements or, or changes in, in hearing aids, whatever those might have been over the years, it really sort of never did. Now, the only thing that ever did uh, that has had a significant uh, uh, way to, to sort of get more people to use hearing aids, oddly enough, uh, has been, uh, in a way, celebrity endorsement. Here we the go. last time... This is what I'm talking about. The yes. last time... And again, it has to do with, with Mecky. Uh, Mecky, uh, you better check his CV. I think this, he, he has an advanced degree in uh, some of the stuff that we're talking about. I, yeah, yeah I'm talking he's, about. He's very insightful. I don't know why I didn't do that before. Uh, is yeah. is the, the notion of stigma. And so... Um, Articles that my students read in class are have to do with sort of how do we minimize uh, you know, stigma as is, as, a, as is attached to hearing aid acquisition and, and sort of you know uh, sort of to reduce the reluctance to to acknowledge your hearing loss. In the early 1980s, President uh, Ronald Reagan uh, got a pair of hearing aids, uh-huh. and um, and actually uh, when I drove here today, I drove past um, the House uh, Ear Institute, which is where. The first cochlear implants in America were actually developed oh. by a guy named Dr. William House. Okay. So I thought shout that, out House. So I thought about here I am driving past. Uh, and we're going to talk about cochlear implants. We're driving uh, past uh, where Dr. William House had developed the first cochlear implant in America. It was parallel development in Australia as well. But but anyway, so that I thought that was that was pretty neat. And then yeah. I'm driving by Wick, by uh, uh, by MacArthur Park where they filmed uh, Training Day. And I was just sort of just <laughs> just, just throwing that out there. It's sort of uh, just right, an right. awesome movie. Yeah. yeah yeah yeah. But right there, right on the same street, uh, just down the street. Uh, so. So, so the basic idea then, uh, when uh, when Reagan got his first set of hearing aids, hearing aid sales went off the chart. 
Wow. Because this is something that was is really monitored in the United States. I mean, they hear how many units of hearing aids are sold and, and so, so on. So we need celebrities to endorse hearing aids. And, and, then, and, and then was verified. Then you got hearing aids a couple of years later and then got a second pair of hearing aids and hearing aids were off the chart and so on. Um, the only other president uh, to get hearing aids was actually Bill Clinton. Oh wow! Was Bill that Clinton, after Bill Clinton? While in the while in the, uh, while as president, he got a pair of, of hearing aids, mm-hmm. and so again, because um, I guess he has bilateral high frequency uh, hearing loss. Does that um, make him better or worse at the saxophone? <laughs> That's a real question. I assume better. <laughs> I would assume. And uh, <laughs> audiologists were particular audiologists who had been around uh, said, "Oh, we're going to have this presidential effect now because at that particular at that point in his presidency." Mm-hmm. He was very well regarded. Okay. Uh, and we, so we're thinking, okay, here we go. Right. You know, the hearing aid sales are going to go off the chart. And about two months, six weeks, two months after he got hearing aids, uh, the Monica Lewinsky thing broke. Uh-huh. And so uh-huh. we never heard about, I mean, that, so the hearing so aid hearing story became was became a thing for pervs to get fired. Not Oof. so good. Not so great. Yeah, that's a, that's a different, unexpected, unpredictable stigma yeah. to be placed on hearing aids. Now, wait, I have a question. The same way that, say, uh, somebody who, you know, is a spy or in the military and has a license to kill and feels nothing when they do so, um, when you see these very uh, inspiring videos of people hearing for the first time, do you feel nothing as someone who sees that, I assume, a lot? Does it not mean anything to you anymore? Sort of the uh, the activation videos of, of individuals with cochlear implants. Uh, of yeah. course, it's very inspiring just to kind of see just to see what is a true flow of emotions uh, into people's faces. And, and some of them, you know, I, I'm not a student of those uh, videos, but I, w- I would have to endorse uh, the general idea of them. Got to remember, too, that some people have had heard before and then right. lost their hearing, and now they're being reconnected. So they're having a whole possibly different experience in this. I don't even know the literature on that. That'd be, again, that's an interesting research topic. I'll have one of our doctoral students tell you what. in our doctoral program at Cal State LA uh, examine, because, again, um, much of understanding um, hearing impairment and what we can do to help people with hearing impairment has to do with understanding sort of how they think and how they respond. Uh, you know, what are the things that, uh, that they feel is either beneficial or provides increased satisfaction in their life. And that's really a very individualized thing. If you had never been able to hear before and then you became hearing by way of like a cochlear implant or something else, first of all, I, maybe that's not possible, but like if you were say 30 and you became hearing, would your brain just not even understand what that is and not be able to interpret the signals? Again, you hit on, a, on an excellent point. It would require a, a significant period of training uh, and sort of pairing, you know, the reception of what it is that you're getting as this now neural electrical signal that's going to be not anything like you're hearing. Uh, when you're hearing my voice, because the redu- there's a significant reduction in the units of information that's provided by the cochlear implant compared to the normal system. Mm-hmm. You know, having said that, having one, you know, if I was to be deaf and, you know, n- you know now as a hearing person who's grown up, um, uh, I would probably, and if I had whatever disorder would cause me to lose both, you know, hearing in both my ears, if that's what it would take to reconnect me, I would, I'd be on it in a second. Uh, because I had all the experience, right. and I already knew, I already know the codes, I already know the patterns, I already have a world experience of vocabulary to plug me into things, so that I can use. You know, probably the best, the best help to uh, to uh, persons with hearing loss is is the uh, context, is knowledge of context. Because now that increases the problem, because you're not going to hear it. So if you're not going to hear it, but you're still forced to respond in a, in a conversation or communication, then you have to come up with your best guess. Mm-hmm. And the best guess is going to be fueled by probabilities, and that's going to be based on your life experiences. 
individuals who haven't heard don't have those don't don't have the same context and world experience. So it would just be like raw noise to them. That's yeah. kind of like I don't know. That what. has to be learned what the patterns are and how to associate that with now spoken language. Because again, again, you know, so, you know, not not to say that that wouldn't be something that an individual might want, but the the best. Uh, prognoses for individuals with cochlear implants are likely when they're applied early in life. And so therefore, uh, sound acquisition and language acquisition can occur uh, with guidance. Uh, but but you, had just, you had just said that if you have a cochlear implant, you, you hear, you get less units of information through that than say like our, you know, hearing human ear gets. What does that practically mean? Are you like, is that like the difference between listening to a song on Spotify and listening to a song on like YouTube when the service is bad? Does this make sense? I don't know that I can, uh, based on my, my own uh, cultural uh, status as a post millennial, as a past millennial, not a post millennial. <laughs> so whatever you said, I'm sure is correct. But uh, <laughs> the fact of the matter is, it has more to do with listening in mono versus listening in stereo. Okay, sure. So, so you An think about that. Example. So if you think about mono, is you're getting one channel of information. Yeah. Okay. So if you think of you're listening in stereo, you're getting two channels of information. That is to say, the acoustic signal that you're getting in each ear, if you're listening with earphones, is slightly different. And stereo engineers knew, know how to modify the acoustic parameters to sort of essentially even place the signal anywhere in your head, right? Mm. based on the principles of how, for example, how we localize sound. So the sound that is a louder sound to us will localize it you know, in other words, to that to the ear where we receive a louder signal, that's what we're going to say that's happening on that side of my body. And so that's what stereo engineers do is they can put one guitar in one ear and another guitar in the other ear. And that sounds like it's on the right side. That sounds like it's on the left side. Um, so that's two channels. So depending on how you want to think about it, we've got 30,000 auditory neurons that are individual channels that are, that are conveying information that, uh, about frequency. So the, the tonality from, you know, on a piano keyboard, you know, that, that sort of thing. Uh, the, so the frequency information up to your brain, but in, along 30,000 neurons. The cochlear implant, the first one that was, was designed by, uh, by uh, Dr. House, William House, uh, had one channel. Whoa. So what that meant is if I was going to say to you, you know, hi, Mecky, it's good to meet you. That would be buzz, 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 buzz. Whoa. So it's just like there is sound or there is not sound. It was, it was like a, it was like a right. kind of binary. But, like. but it would see, it would preserve at least two of the characteristics of speech that might be useful to you, which is the fact that there's a sound there at all. Ah. And then the duration of the sound. Whoa. Okay. Wait. So how many channels are there in cochlear implants now? 22. Whoa, that's crazy. So it's a sampling issue. Sure, so it's yeah. a sampling issue. So it, so it has to do with uh, you're going to get information in most of the regions of hearing that's important as a function of frequency, that piano keyboard thing, but, but, but not quite as fine as much of information as, as you would get with your own uh, sort of natural hearing. So again, to just like simplify this in the dumbest way possible, it's like, uh, like the score that came on like early arcade video games or, or something like that where it's like... 8-bit. 8-bit or like, yeah, the synthesizer only has like a few notes that they have an option to play. I mean, it, it's that it's that kind of classic like 80s arcade robot-y sound is kind of similar to what you might have an option to receive with cochlear implant. I suppose that's correct. It has, it's, it's less information. Crazy. So, so Are we able to hear what that sounds like? Yeah. Is there an example that we could hear as hearing people? Um, I I'm sure that uh, the, the manufacturers probably there's, there's only three or four manufacturers worldwide. One of here in, who's here in Southern California, mm. um, and um, I, I'm sure they probably have things that that approach that. I'm not I'm not familiar with with those okay. as an analog. Check it out. Yeah, we'll listen to that after. 
Okay, we're going to take a quick break, and we will be right back. The break is over. Here we go, back to the show about science. I have a few other uh, pretty strange questions for you, and I don't know, Mecky, if you've heard about this kind of stuff, but uh, there's something called ASMR. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Do you know about that, uh, Dr. Ivory? No, I don't. What's oh, that stand for? ASMR <clears throat> is Autonomous Sensory Meridian Response. It's best described as a physical sensation of tingling that often begins in the scalp and moves down through the spine and sometimes to the limbs. It is a pleasurable feeling that some would call relaxing. Uh, Varies from person to person, but uh, it includes whispers, white noise, lip smacking, tapping on hard surfaces, brushing sounds, and even the the sound of someone eating. To me, I don't have a positive response to ASMR videos, and it seems like a corner of the internet that exists for kind of just like creepy dudes to listen to that one girl who's famous for doing that, who's like 13, be like, or whatever. Right. It's a, it's, wow, you've really, I'm so sorry that we've just exposed you to a very dark corner of I'm online. glad that uh, we brought it up. I think that it's going to be interesting to eventually see your response to this, because there are videos, like Mecky's saying, that have millions and millions of views online where people... Listen with headphones, I guess, to uh, these people. Yeah, just tapping their lips or like whispering to them, mostly for relaxation. Um, some to go to sleep. Ninety-eight percent said that they do it for relaxation. I think the others uh, help them go to sleep. So I don't know. Wanted to ask you about it. All, all I can say to you is that you know the wiring of the brain is such that once the information that's come from the environment gets up to your brain to your primary auditory cortex, it'll then sort of farm out to ultimately to association areas in the brain, which are the highest levels of sort of of, of, of cortical brain processing, which then sort of interact with all of the other things there, auditory memories, other sensations, and so I would I would say in a naive sort of way that there are you know there are connections that would sort of support that and, and you know. Uh, we have all these primitive wirings in our in our brain. I mean, even uh, uh, if you think of something as primitive as a sense of smell, uh, and that if you hear, if you get a particular fragrance that might remind you of somebody you knew, mm-hmm. or an odor, an aroma in a house of a cookie or bread, you know, cookies baking or bread baking, something like that, it might mm-hmm. remind you of you know somebody you know being at home or whatever the case may be. Yeah, uh, Mickey, do you want to do a ASMR uh, review of a quiet place? For us. Oh, okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. Wait, do I have to have the pop filter here? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, right, because I guess that's part of it. Here, I'll help you with this. Hey, so, A Quiet Place is a, it's a movie where everybody's very quiet. You know what? A lot of podcasts, <laughs> by the way, recently have been doing like an ASMR bit, and really? I always just tap the 15-second thing through okay. it, and I refuse to be that guy. Yeah, yeah, let's skip it. I mean, if we were into it, we would do it, but... Jim from The Office has a beard. He's having a big resurgence right now. (laughs) Okay, I wanted to ask about tinnitus. Uh, It says that a quarter of Americans experienced tinnitus in the past year, and uh, I know for sure that I have, and I thought maybe that's just because, as I mentioned before, I've been... Uh, you know, in a lot of practice rooms and such with really loud drums and guitar amps. But no, apparently a lot of other people have it too. And so do you know why it happened? Do we do we understand that? Uh, tinnitus, again, is the per- is the, the individual's uh, perception of a signal that doesn't appear to be present in the environment. Uh, there are multiple causes uh, or multiple possible explanations for it. So it's multifactorial. It can be caused by certain um, biological conditions. It can be caused by certain disease or damage kinds of conditions. 
conditions. Um, and so, and some people uh, typically would have hearing loss associated with it. Uh, for example, it's, it's, it's an almost universal finding of someone who might have had noise exposure. So noise exposure, we'd expect to have hearing loss at a particular frequency that we would test in, in typical audiologic audiometric testing. Uh, and usually the tinnitus is in that same sort of region as well. Hmm. Uh, for the people that have it as a persistent condition, um, it is um, uh, uh, annoying to the point where it's... Uh, you may have heard of the of a condition called a psychosomatic condition, which are the psychology of the person imagines that they have some kind of bodily condition. Right. In a way, tinnitus is the converse of that. It's a somatopsychic condition for some individuals, which is to say they actually have something going on. We just it's beyond our ability to sort of you know capture where it is or, or end or to repair it or fix it or ameliorate it. Wow. But that then leads them into a psychological poor adaptation to that particular condition, um, and, and and so then. For many, for many individuals, they will utilize, uh, you know, will have you know noise on all night uh, from a radio or a noisemaker that, that uh, that's producing just like much like in the movie is producing um, the waterfall noise. Mm -hmm. uh, in fact, um, uh, one of those uh, uh, stores uh, uh, had had a thing where you could push different kinds of sounds that were like this is a creek or this is the the rain or this right, is whatever right. it is, you know, so supposedly and. Uh, and that would then be on all night so that the person would not hear the ringing or the noise in their own ear. Okay. And also, that's so sick how he dunked on you for mispronouncing tinnitus, dude. He politely <laughs> did it by just saying it the right way. <laughs> well, wow, you're dumb. Is dude, that the right way to say it? Can you say it both you, ways? Both ways are acceptable. I didn't get dunked no on, man. No way, dude. Listen, I've been dunked, dunked on. on. I've been dunked on many times, uh, but that is not a you case. You got dunked on. I watched a video the other day on the on YouTube where a guy was like, actually, it's tinnitus. And I was like, I'll never make that mistake again. <laughs> and now Ethan did it. He's dumb. I'm smart. This is my podcast now. All right. Um, I'm happy to be a guest. I I was going to ask about balance. There's a there's like something in the inner ear that helps us balance. Well, and, yeah, the, the inner ear is actually the anatomic home for both the balance organs and the hearing organ. And when we talked about the classic senses, you know, you know sight, smell, hearing, taste, touch, uh, we really, sh you know, if, and if you operationally define those uh, sense organs or those senses by, there's our, there are specialized receptor cells that convert energy into something the brain can process. The balance organs should also be, uh, should also be on there because they also have specialized receptor cells that basically tell your brain where your head is. There are there's basically five different patches of receptor cells in the in the balance organs, uh, two of which are really kind of more primitive and are like accelerative. So like the experience that you have if you're in an elevator and you have that sense that okay you've just you've just sort of changed position mm. somehow. That's from these sort of more primitive uh, areas in the balance organs. But we have three canals on each side that basically when you move your head in any any direction, like you're either saying yes, you know, you're either saying no, or you're saying yes, or you're moving your shoulder, you're moving your head from shoulder to shoulder, which doesn't really have a, a name. I call it in class. I call it. We have the we have the no movement. We have the yes movement, and you have the la la movement. I don't have a good name for it. As you move your head <laughs> from shoulder to shoulder. Like also, it. how but, sick is it that every single listener of this podcast is bobbing their head around like right now like an idiot? <laughs> I was just doing it here in studio. Yeah. I'm dumb. <laughs> And and so the so each each uh, set of, of balance uh, of, of of canals uh, balance what's called semicircular canals and the right in your uh, you have a three on the right three on the left are juxtaposed to that when you know they're they're doing equal but opposite so if I turn my head one way this one on one side is getting a particular stimulation and the other on the other side is getting another and the central nervous system reads those two and uses that information uh, to let your brain know where your head is. 
Wow. If you think about it, your, your, your body is really the, the, the structure to haul your brain around. Yeah. And so well, your brain is, is really wants to know that you're not dragging your head on the, on the ground, for example. Right. So, um, and yeah, so yeah. Um, our ability to, the ability particularly of, of, of head position uh, is, is, is determined by the balance organs. So individuals who have def- deficits uh, in, in hearing, if it's an inner, or, inner ear problem, might also have uh, uh, concomitant problems with their balance. Interesting. Uh, or, or the other way around. But one can lead to, you know, they can either both be present or just one or just the other. So that's the sixth sense. It should be. People think it's some mystical thing, but it's balance. Well, sense of humor. Hey. Oh, seventh sense. Wow, yeah, true. Yeah, I think balance is more important. Well, I don't know. Hey, I'll fall down off stage if I can just get up there for a little bit. You know what I Probably mean? Probably make people laugh if you fall down. Oh, wow. So you know, it kind of other. all works together. Yeah. So just, one other quick point on that, Ethan. You, yep. you know, if we talk about, you know, our, our, our senses, again, as I mentioned to you earlier, you know, allow us as a species to be able to appreciate certain energies in our environment, whether it's acoustic or visual or chemical energies. Um, and so to that extent, we're really ignorant about what all are the other energies that are around us that we just simply haven't had a need to adapt to picking those up. Okay. Which, getting back to the movie, aliens might. There might be other energies, uh, electromagnetic waves or other kinds of energies that could be you know, modulated, utilized for uh, communication purposes or other purposes. Yeah. We live a very limited, as animals on this planet, we live, we live within the, the range of the information we're able to um, receive. And, and it really kind of, I guess it's all that we basically need. We've, this is how we've evolved. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and so, uh, but when you think about what other possible energies are out, you know, in the universe or even, even on our planet that we're exposed to, but we don't detect. Yeah. Ultraviolet stuff. Yeah. yeah. I mean, some people have seemed to evolve further than that. There are a lot of people in Silver Lake or like Greenpoint, New York, who've evolved to, you know, absorb energy from crystals, things That's like right. that, That's which is important, you know. It seems to be important to them. It's something to be studied. It's pretty much all they talk about. Yeah, that's true. Um, I wanted to play a quick game, speaking of uh, things that we don't perceive, uh, called Quiet Good Listeners. Quiet. So I have a list here of the top uh, animals uh, that can hear, top hearing animals. Okay, sure. I don't know the right way to say that. Animals that hear the best? Animals that be hearing the most. Animals that be hearing the mostest. Okay, good, yeah. <laughs> We're from Louisiana in this section. Um, mm-hmm. So if you guys want to take a guess, maybe you guys could each pick one or two that you think have the best hearing. I feel like Dr. Ivory might have a little bit of a step up uh, against you, but oh, I don't you know. Mean the auditory professor? Yeah, he <laughs> might know about this better than me, Ethan. Yeah. Thanks. So let's have you make it go first. Oh, this is great. I'm going to guess dog and then get bounced out of the studio for being an idiot. No, you know what? I'm Pick three. Pick three. Pick How's three. That? Okay, yeah. and I'll tell you uh, where they are. Okay, um, bats, uh, dolphins, whales. Yeah, what's up? Okay, and well, I would have to argue. First up, it really depends on how we're defining hearing. See, in terms this is of, the kind of answer that's you know. <laughs> see, you know. Oh God, this is now. If we were, if you're going to define it by the broadest frequency response, that's one particular answer. If we're going to okay. talk about it as having the best capacity to distinguish 
differences between sounds. That's a different. That's a whole different ball game. Whoa! Um, I'm not sure how they listed these. If they we're talk talking about, about you know, again, the ability to appreciate ranges of amplitude, that's that's again. So I, I, so Mecky went with the I think the, the the very defensible. Let's look at the broadest possible frequency range. And so by throwing the bats in there, and and uh, uh, dogs less so, but but bats and dolphins probably have the widest high frequency end of of hearing. Mm-hmm. Um, Whales, I'm not so sure, but elephants, for example, then go to the farther lowest frequency end. Uh, and again, you know, part of that is just because the things that they need to hear, arguably other elephants, are are big. And you know, remember, if you're musicians, you remember that low, you know, low frequencies and bass sounds come from big things. Yep. And to convey bass information, uh, you need to have sort of a, something that is able to move mass uh, easily. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so, uh, lo- so elephants, therefore, have better low-frequency hearing. But I'm interested to hear what the list says. Do you want to pick two other... I have elephant from you. You want to pick two other animals? So far, we haven't hit the top one. I'll give you... I'll we tell haven't you hit that. the top one. I'll tell you that much. <sighs> Do snakes hear things? We're now working together. Becky, you're done. I'm done? Yeah. All right, you good. I don't want to guess snakes. Brother. <laughs> I mean, dude, I picked three, and then he pulled up, and he's just like, well, what even is hearing? So it's like, I'm going to lose, you know? Well, we'll see. We'll see. Well, I don't have my fact-checking capacity, so I'm going to lose, too. I might, I might think it might be an insect. Okay. Kind. That's pretty good. Mm. I'll, give you, I'll give you a half point for that. And one more. You want to give... No, elephant insect no, I'm one. throwing the cards over. I'll give wow, up. Wow, pass. I mean, you might win just out of default from the pass. Uh, okay, crazy. so. What a turn. Number eight on the list was dolphin. Uh-huh. So that's a point for you, Mac. Uh, they have echolocation, as I'm sure you know. Yes. Uh, what I didn't I know did is know that, that when they emit the squeak and it comes back, it comes back to their lower jaw which I thought was really interesting, and I had no idea about that. Mm, I'd be um, a bad dolphin. Weak jaw. You guys can't see, but it's very embarrassing. <laughs> Dog was number five, which was right above cat, which I found interesting because I just assumed for some reason that cats had better hearing. But it, according to this list, dogs have better hearing than cats. Um, and that uh, cats' ears are controlled by around three dozen muscles per ear, and they can rotate them 180 degrees for full peripheral coverage. So I thought that was really cool. Sounded uh, complex. Um, elephant was number four, Dr. Ivory. Uh, bats are number two, Mecky. Oh, wow. They also use echolocation. And moth is number one. Yeah, the Whoa, evolution crazy. of the moth um, was probably because they had to evade the threat of their main predator, the bat. So, so they can hear better than bats. They hear a higher frequency than bats, allowing them to escape before being attacked. But also, they love lamps. That's true. Oh, I don't want to get into that meme. I hate that meme. But I was really thinking about... How they're attracted to light. Yeah. Can yeah. they not see well? Um, I don't know how moths see. I know bats can't see very okay, well yeah. or at all. Uh, Mr. Printout, a little weak, a little bit weak. Oh, I do minimal research, my uh-huh. friend. Uh, but I'll I'll fill you on the on, on the other ones. Uh, an owl is number three. Uh, horse is seven. Rat is nine, and pigeon is ten, which I found surprising. Pigeons can hear infrasound, which I think was what you were talking about. Lower like frequency, very low frequency sound. They can detect distant storms, earthquakes, and even volcanoes. So they're known as the best navigators in the world because of that. Which I thought was very cool. Oh, what? Because they avoid volcanoes? Okay. <laughs> I mean, not much to uh, brag about. Yeah, like, well, I'm not going to drive into a volcano and I can't hear anything. Um, so. I also have here uh, earlobes that they never stop growing and that no one knows why we have them. That there's a theory about blood flow because they have a lot of blood vessels in them. 
No, I'm not going to buy into any of that. Okay. Uh, and I don't even think they, they, they keep growing. Um, mm-hmm. The allu- it, When you look at older people, it, it looks like their ears have gotten bigger. Mm-hmm. But most of the structure of the outer ear, what we call the pinna, is primarily cartilage, sort of that white stuff between the chicken breast bones, that kind of stuff. That's sure, very sure. elastic, elastic connective material. And so, the, you know, most of what the outer, uh, the ear, the outer ear is pinna is skin and blood vessels and nerve endings on top of cartilage. Um, and the cartilage never really shrinks over life, but mm. the rest of the person's face does. Oh. So when you see an old face, you're captured by the prominence of a nose, because it's also cartilaginous, and then prominence of their ears. Um, but their ears never really, aren't really growing. So it's the rest of it that it's shrinks. It's the rest of it shrinking, yeah. Crazy. Yeah, that's wild. Did not think about that. Yeah. Mm. And, and by the way, we, you know, we have muscles that move our ears too, but we don't, we don't use them anymore. They're all vestigial. So we could, mm. you know, if you were to do a dissection of the, of the muscles that attach to the pinna, we can't really, we can't really move them uh, around. And I think so, I can still kind of move my ears a little bit, right? Yeah, wait, do it, do it. Yeah, I see it. Uh, uh, okay. Uh, you guys can't see it, but it's very impressive. Yeah, this is great and, radio. and so the, the ability to uh, to move your ears, uh, basically the, the reason that, if you think about evolutionary uh, purpose, the reason that cats can move their ears around is because they're, both of their, their ears are facing front. Mm. And so the only way that you can detect the difference between right and left or to localize sound in the environment is if you can uh, basically um, have the greatest possible physical distance between the inputs. Got it. So if the right ear and the left ear are next to each other, everything's going to be right in front of you. So the cat moves its ear around to be able to move to the right to pick up a sound on the right, and it's basically maximizing the physical distance. That gives the central nervous system. But their resting position is on the front so that it stays cute, which is important. (laughs) Yeah, very important for me. Um, Okay, wait, what about airplane travel? I just got back uh, from Seattle, and I was very very afraid. Ethan's (laughs) on a comedy podcast, and he just looked at a scientist in the eyes and said, airplanes, what's up with that? That's not what I said. I'm curious why. I I don't know how you guys... uh, uh, venture how, how it how it happens for you guys, but I'm always afraid when the dissension starts because of the pressure, and so I have to like pop my ears mm-hmm. and chew gum, and if I'm like stuffy at all, I have to take a decongestant. Mm-hmm. So, does that happen to you? Why does that happen? And how am I doing the right things to avoid it? It sounds like you're doing the correct things to try to provide air to your middle ear space. There's, uh, if you go down your ear canal. Uh, you, you'll eventually you'll encounter your eardrum, uh, which is a sealed membrane. On the other side of that membrane is an air pocket with containing air and the ossicles that you mentioned before. That air pocket uh, has to be resupplied with air, and the source of that air is a tube that runs to the back of your throat, above your nose, but the back of your throat called the eustachian tube. Eustachian. And so... The eustachian tube normally closed, but it opens when we swallow, opens when we chew. Um, some people just have poor eustachian tube function. Some children have eustachian tube dysfunction early in life through maybe age six until the thing grows, to one on each side, until it grows to the point where it's got at the right angle and length and so on. Um, uh, and so, yeah, so you're doing the best thing you can do is to try to sort of get air up into the into that space. Okay. And so as a follow-up, do you feel like it's maybe some kind of a conspiracy or a scam that Spirit Airlines tickets seem so much cheaper, but then if you add even one bag, it's like $50 extra? Yeah, you know? what's up with that? It's like, what is up with that? Why would they do that to us? Is another question. Yeah. For me. It's very uncomfortable. I agree. On a Spirit flight. Yeah. I hate it. It's not good. No. 
Why is that? Hmm. Based on your station tube physiology, I kind of swear. All right, fantastic. Um, okay, I mean, pr- the, o- the other stuff I had is pretty dark, and uh, I feel like we're running out of time anyways, but... There's there's something called LRADs. You know about this mm. long range acoustic devices. Before oh. before we get Weapons. into the final questions here, I, oh, yeah. I I also have some questions that perhaps you could oh. ask rapid fire. Yeah, um, yeah. So just as quickly as you can, um, <laughs> scientifically, these are questions I wrote down during the movie. Uh, mm-hmm. Scientific scientifically, is there a sign language way to add that extra syllable like my sister did when she was mad at my dad? Because the girl in this in this movie gets mad at her dad a lot. And traditionally, as hearing people, uh, in the most scientific way I can, you get an extra syllable on every frustrated word, sort of a dad, uh, you know what I'm talking about? Right. Is there any sign language equivalent for that extra uh, on everything? Ethan, uh, I, I don't want to go upstairs. Uh. Is there anything we can do about that? Well, I'm not I'm not fluent in, in American sign language, but I'm I'm sure that there is, and it's just expressed in uh, again sign language is is expressed in spatial terms. So it would probably be a longer, slower motion, but much like you would do with your speech, uh, which is a prolongation or some kind of accent. It would just be an analog uh, in, uh, in 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 sort of a spatial and a durational kind of context. But I but I can't tell you exactly what that kind of slang would be. See, this is what I'm talking about. This by is exa- far the best possible. That is an incredible answer that's very insightful. I legitimately learned something about such a stupid question. My second uh, quick rapid-fire question. My job is to answer stupid questions. Yes. (laughs) Boy, do I have one million. Um, My my second question, and this is from the movie, uh, do scientists love... Farms, because oh, and good call. Uh, dude, this is so true of every. How much did yo? How much does every sci-fi movie start on a farm where there's some lady in a flower dress that's like, I don't know about all this science, and then there's a man in the barn that will not stop tinkering no matter yeah, what. Yeah, or a lot of scientists for some reason, like after they retire, will just automatically go farm, to be a farmer. But then also are like have a secret in the barn, right? You know what yeah, I mean? Lab in the barn. Yeah. What yeah. is that? Do you have a secret barn lab, or do you dream of that? Yes. Um, actually, no, but I, I think if you, you know, scientists, uh, I'm not a scientist per se, I'm an educator, but scientists and an audiologist, uh, you know, scientists look to simplify and look to, to find, you know, an, an analysis and to, to try to find the sort of the most simplest way to explain something. So in some respects, getting back to a, to nature, getting back to uh, an environment in which a lot of the other distractions or other variables that might be uh, at play uh, are removed might be uh, uh, soothing to them. This is incredible. This I feel really like great. at this point we could ask him anything and he would respond in yeah. a really nice academic way. My God, it's incredible. How All do right. we get rid of Trump? <laughs> <laughs> why, why do I hate him so much? So many people just turned their car and drove it off of a bridge. It's like this podcast is not. Uh, any other? Uh, uh, no, go about Yeah, Mickey, go to your, go to your long range, uh, your thing. Uh, yeah, no, I was there, there's like weapons that I guess have been used... And I just wanted to know if you knew about them, uh, sonic and ultrasonic weapons. Yeah, I've read about them. Probably not m- more familiar with those than you would be from internet sort of things. But it's if you understand that sound basically is a subset of vibration, which is in uh, 
in acoustic terms, is a movement of air particles. Uh, is you know, so what we now understand as sound is actually the vibration or movement of of, of molecules. Of you know, it, molecules that exist in the air, they're still they're still molecules and, and molecular mass in okay. the chemicals that make up our air. Uh, and so uh, the idea of what a sonic weapon is, as I understand it, is to basically create a very large concentration or very large pressure wave. So when you're hearing me now, it's because I'm disturbing the air particles uh, between my lips and your eardrum such that I'm actually physically, this is a creepy thought here, Mecky, but you, so you may want to pay attention. The, I'm, as, as I'm speaking, <laughs> as I'm speaking, I'm literally moving your eardrums in and out. Wow. Now, your eardrums will move. Uh, it doesn't take too much to move them, probably the diameter of a, of a hydrogen atom. So it doesn't take much displacement or movement of air particles to make those eardrums move in and out. Mm-hmm. But that's where it all starts. And so the idea of these weapons is to take a massive pressure front and to blast that at people right. and to see whatever, uh, you know, whatever that, however that incapacitates them. Crazy. Yeah, they have things called sonic grenades, sonic mines, sonic cannons. Sonic the Hedgehog, uh, very Sonic dangerous. The- That's no good. <laughs> yeah, it also sounds like that toy you could have when you were a kid, that thing that was like a bucket with like an elastic bag on the back where you pull it back and it launches oh, air. You know what I'm talking right. about? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Those air cannons? Or it just is like kind of like that. Yeah. Wow. Well, that's how sound works. Um, okay, well, I had uh, some really gross stuff about bugs that go in your ears, but, you know, we don't need to get into it unless you have a specific... I've got plenty of bugs in the ear stories. There's no question oh, about no. it. Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, um, what? So, okay, I'll give you what I got first. Okay. The cockroaches are the most common thing to get into people's ears while they sleep, mm-hmm. but it's not. they're not trying to harm you. They're just looking to get somewhere safe and cozy, and every now and then they can get stuck, and I guess that creates problems for people. And then the second most is flies and then oddly enough an earwig does not go into people's ears what's an earwig i don't even know i guess it's just some sort of it has the little pincers at the end of the thorax there you go. Yeah. So, um, and actually, one of the uh, I was uh, did, I was at uh, an audiologist at Tulane Medical Center in New Orleans for a few years, and so we got to see a, a, a range of insects that crawled into ears, and earwigs was actually one of them. So I could testify oh. they were. And I've seen pictures of uh, of spiders in ears as as well. Delicious. And again, it's warm. Uh, it's a warm space. Uh, it's dark, and so you could see. Uh, uh, you know that you know why bugs would go in there, but again, mm-hmm. as I'd advise my students, you know the only time the bugs are going to get in your ears is if like you're, you're lying on the floor asleep. So, right. and I said the best way, the best way to to sort of to, uh, incapacitate the drug would be what we might you know, do. What I would do if it was in my ear or uh, my child's ear is one as uh, so I'd put alcohol in there mm. because that would sort of incapacitate it. So I tell my Some students vodka. just if you're on the floor, just reach around and pick up a, you know something around and just pour that in your ear. <laughs> <laughs> Great. That's great. Wow. Okay. Easy. It's kind of what gets you in the mess and gets you out. Hey, folks. <laughs> Maggie's podcast. <laughs> Welcome back. Um, well, great. I had a great time talking to you, gentlemen. Um, oh, you have another point. Well, yeah. You know, please. Getting back to the movie. Yeah. Uh, and again, sort of connecting it up to other sort of popular culture relative to this idea of how do you incapacitate aliens. Um, <laughs> You know, I was struck by, and I thought back, at least in, in my viewing history of things, of the of the two similar, the two most closest uh, plot hooks uh, being um, most most recently Mars Attacks. Yep, love that. Mm-hmm. Okay, because again, what happened was uh, Slim. Uh, Slim Whitman's yodeling made the Martians' brains blow up. That's which right. Is, so, so that's what I was afraid was going to happen once I saw the hook 
dealing to like, okay, this particular sound is now going to make the, the Martian, the, right, this the critter's heads blow up. And I go, oh my God, is this going to devolve into Mars attacks or not? But it, but it didn't exactly. And But then the other one that's more reminiscent is uh, was a Twilight Zone episode Ooh. from 1962, Hocus Pocus and Mr. Frisbee. I don't know. Uh, with, with Andy Devine. You know Andy Devine? Jinx? No. Uh, okay, he's the guy with the, must have had a vocal fold problem because he had a real raspy voice. Oh. And he was abducted by aliens. Okay. Uh, and he had a harmonica in his pocket. And when he took the harmonica out, it sort of it, it sort of killed all the aliens or incapacitated them, and then they had to leave. So it's, a, it's the same kind of idea that it's some kind of sound that affected them. Yeah, yeah, okay, that's very cool. i got to check out that episode. I love the Twilight Zone. Yeah. Yeah, I have no point of reference for this. The only other movies I've seen are uh, the Bourne trilogy, and <laughs> it was nothing like that. But boy, are those good movies, huh? you just seen the Bourne trilogy and A Quiet Place. Yes. <laughs> okay. You know, just, yeah, and one other sort of technical point, and... and um, other other commentators have, have mentioned this about the cochlear implant, is that the cochlear implant, unlike a hearing aid, which creates an acoustic signal, the cochlear implant, as I described to you earlier t- in the podcast, doesn't produce an acoustic signal. It takes energy, it p- picks up an acoustic signal and converts it to electricity. Hmm. So the premise of the cochlear implant emitting an acoustic signal, which was then broadcast into the basement of the of the house, is, is not plausible relative to how right. cochlear implants I saw work. something about how... It's not completely a cochlear implant because he made it himself ah. out of uh, stereo parts, and so it's some sort of uh, some sort of hybrid device. Yes, exactly, some sort of hybrid device that does you know doesn't work the way that he wants it to work, but it does work in this weird high frequency emitting way. So I kind of like that. That made sense. To that me. would explain. Yeah. Wow. Um, Okay, great. I think we've covered everything. We did it, folks. We We solved hearing. (laughs) You solved hearing. And now hearing aids are cool. Yes. (laughs) For middle-aged people. I really did. Yeah, Yeah, seriously, though, if you have, uh, you know, parents or grandparents and they're a little too prideful, uh, let them know that hearing aids are cool. Yeah. You know, it's cool to hear. It's cool to hear. Yeah. Or, but if you don't want to hear, also... It's not a problem unless you're talking to Ethan Edinburgh, who despises you. Okay, wait a minute. That's not what I'm, <laughs> that's not my point. Um, do you guys have anything to plug? Anything coming up you want people to know about? Uh, if you are in Austin, Texas, on December 1st at the Fallout Theater, I'm running my Comedy Central project Control Room. Uh, and also, I have dates coming up in San Francisco and two shows in LA. Uh, just back, just got back from Chicago and Philly. The show is very fun and cool. So go to that. It's a crazy social experiment show. It's very fun. Please where, check it out. Where can they check you out online? Uh, just go to MeckyLeaper.com slash shows for tickets to all that stuff and more things or just uh, to look at video clips of stuff. That's that's probably the best place. Or Twitter. M-E-K-K-I-L-E-E. And you have an Instagram? I got an Instagram. It's all the same. It's all the same. I got a weird name. It's easy to find. It's Mecky. It's Mecky. M-E-K-K-I. L-E-E-P-E-R. I mean, what's the deal? What is the deal? It's that's that, Yeah, that's my bit, actually. Uh, <laughs> he just goes uh, on yeah, stage and says, I'm, what is the deal? Embroiled in a lawsuit with Seinfeld right now, because that's what I do. <laughs> uh, Dr. Peter Ivory? And so if anyone is uh, has an interest in audiology, uh, Cal State Los Angeles is opening up our doctoral program in audiology in spring semester 2019. We're uh, taking admissions now for fall semester. Uh, and so we're very, very excited that uh, to bring this academic program to back, back, to, Cal- back to Southern California. It's fascinating. I think everyone should do it if they're even thinking maybe they get to learn from you you're going to be teaching there yes i will so fantastic come on do it do it all right thank you so much see you next time bye bye mackie's loose bonus thoughts from a quiet place 
Um, all right, yeah, these are some of my loose bonus thoughts from A Quiet Place. I did an intro for myself, and I'm also introducing it as if it were a separate show. Um, okay, a couple of notes if you're watching along. The ransack store at the beginning looks like a normal Marshalls. Let's see. Uh, that kid draws that rocket. I thought it was a thing about how he wants to escape the Earth, but it turns out he's just dumb as hell and loves rockets. What an idiot. Uh, my facial hair would look like shit in the apocalypse. Um, let's see. Oh, turns out those people with the shoes that look like feet would be the only people left on Earth if this actually happened. Um, what else? Um, Jim running to turn off that kid's rocket toy is how my girlfriend sprints at me when I play a podcast without headphones on. What else? Oh, man. Yeah, I said in the podcast that this looks like just like an L.L. Bean ad with subtitles, but I really mean that. Like, if there was a muted Patagonia ad playing in the waiting room of a doctor's office, I would not know that it wasn't this movie. Um... Let's see. A Quiet Place is what libertarians beat off to. How gross is that fish that Emily Blunt cooked in the floor? What? Floor fish looks disgusting. No, thank you. Also, I reject all the jokes that everybody made on Twitter about them farting loudly. Ah, ha, ha. Dude, have you never had a new girlfriend you're not comfortable around? You hold your ass cheeks open and your farts sound like a sigh. That's what you do. Uh, let's see here. Oh, there's a scene where the kid has to do homework. Imagine being in the apocalypse, everyone you've ever met is dead and you're not allowed to make a sound, and then also you have to learn what a scalene triangle is. <laughs> that sucks. Um, um, also, this movie was clearly made by a dad. There's an entire scene about taking your kid fishing, and if they complain about it too loud, they literally die. <laughs> so, these are some of the thoughts that I had about A Quiet Place. Bad Science is hosted and produced by me, Ethan Edinburgh, and the executive producer is Brett Kushner. Follow us at Bad Science Show on Instagram, that's at Bad Science Show, and send us an email if you'd like at badscienceatseeker.com. That's badscienceatseeker.com. Also, today's voting day, so please vote and tell your friends to vote. It's okay to be the annoying person that's reminding them to vote because it's really important. And also after today, you don't have to do it anymore for a long time. So go ahead and do that. I appreciate it. The world appreciates it. And I'll see you next week. Bye.